Man, that video of the settler Jacob. It's not even yeah, me. That's like, what he yeah, said. It, he's standing yeah. in their yard. It's easy to get mad at me. Right. Sure, it's easy to get mad at you. Right. You're stealing right. my house. Everybody starts hashtagging. When I saw that video, I was like, no hashtags. Like, we're done with the protests. This woman needs a gun. One of the main ways that Palestinians remain attached to their land and their homes is by carrying their land deeds. We very rarely talk about the economic consequences of the settler colonial project in Palestine that benefits from militarism and capitalism and all of these repressive ideologies. And this extends beyond Palestine. That's why the May Day solidarity is so important. Palestinians are owed billions of dollars. Palestinians should be rich, but they are impoverished by the extraction of wealth from their community. Hello and welcome to episode 9 of the Palestine Pod, the weekly podcast where a Palestinian-American lawyer and a Jewish-American comedian break down the latest headlines dealing with Palestine and bring you stories, commentary, and interviews with the aim of spreading awareness about the Palestinian struggle for justice and equal rights. I'm one of your hosts, Lara E. You might know me from Instagram as at Girl, and I'm joined by my co-host, Mikey B. What's going on, y'all? My name is Mikey B on TikTok, Michael Scherzer on Instagram. And Mikey Intifada, if you saw that Human Rights Watch report and said, it's going to be a tough day at the office today. <laughs> That's great. That's really good. Thanks. I like this one. Yeah. So the Zionist apartheid regime spent Easter by assaulting, detaining, and impeding the worship of Palestinian Christians visiting the Church of the Holy Scepter, which hold two of the holiest sites in Christianity the site where Jesus was believed to be crucified, then buried and resurrected. This comes after fundamentalist Zionist settlers have broken into Al-Aqsa numerous times. One person who was recently arrested by Jerusalem police confessed he was looking for people to victimize because he's, quote, a fan of provocations and wants to, quote, disturb peace and cause bloodshed. He also confessed to, quote, enjoying terror attacks against Arabs. Anyways, all of this has been buttressed by an ongoing campaign to burn down churches and mosques by fundamentalist Zionists. Lastly, 44 people were trampled to death at a Jewish religious gathering during the pandemic. Man, that video of the settler Jacob. For, that dude, that. of course. That dude. Oh my God is so clearly from brooklyn from the united <laughs> states and it's like pretty scary just the way that he so is just like look it's not even me it's not even yeah, me that's like, what he yeah, said it, he's standing yeah. in their yard yeah talking about it's not even me it's easy to get mad at me right sure it's easy to get mad at you right. you're stealing right. my house jacob the palestinian woman knows his name the way she like, knew Jacob, and said his name. Don't steal my house. It's like yeah. she's talking to a child that she knows, but like yeah. can't yeah, properly yeah, yeah, yeah. discipline. Right. And he's like, if I don't do it, somebody else will. And she's like, no. What is this premise? It was truly bizarre that he said the quiet part out loud 
in the open. Right. Because usually right. they're just like, ah, you know, we yeah. came upon empty land or they, they wanted oh, to yeah. leave. Or yep. now, like Miko said, they've dropped the facade. It's look, yeah. if I don't do it, someone else is going to do it. Right. And that is a reason to engage in fascism. Because if you don't do it, someone else is going to benefit from it. There's so much more I want to say about Jacob. I want to pen a letter to Jacob the Settler. Something like that. You do you have? I mean? But does that have to be read on the podcast? You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> kind of. <laughs> like I feel like you could write that. That's a that's an Instagram story. No, but <laughs> I, I, I want to end. <laughs> he's not. He's not going to read it. <laughs> I think we can get it to him. Second of all, I feel like there's something. There's something. Like, what if we start a campaign, Jacob? Like. Everybody starts tag hashtagging Jacob the Settler. Letter letter to Jacob the Settler. You know, do I you mean, I sort of when, movement. Literally, I, that's not what I was thinking when I saw that video. When I saw that video, I was like, "This woman needs a gun." <laughs> the law is if somebody is on your property, you can shoot him dead if they're yeah. if they are presenting a threat to you and your family. And what is a greater threat than a guy who shows up and he's like, "Hi, I'm moving in." Yeah, that's what I thought. I was like, no hashtags. Like, we're done with the protests. That shit was so crazy. Where else would you allow anybody to just walk into your house and steal it from you? You wouldn't. In Texas, you'd shoot them dead. In, Same thing in Palestine. In Texas, exactly, exactly. exactly. You know what I mean? And exactly. anybody who wants to say that it's different is playing by a totally different set of rules. I mean, Zionist logic, man. It's just Zionist logic. It's, it, it's its own form of logic. It just operates according to its own rules. And its own rules are whatever we say is the truth and it doesn't matter how absurd it is and or how much it defies conventional notions of what is rational and reasonable and, and logical. That's what Zionist logic is. And you are supposed to just succumb to its whims if you are the object of its focus like you as a palestinian just have to go with whatever it says there's nothing there's nothing you can do oh i just have to take it if i don't take it somebody else will and she's like no nobody has to take it and it was interesting the way in which that they switched languages right it went from yeah. hebrew to english to a little bit of arabic it was a very strange cultural exchange that highlights yeah what's happening every day in Palestine and specifically right now in East Jerusalem. There's a video that was put up by Jewish Voice for Peace that basically describes the vision of the lead settler in the ethnic cleansing campaign. And he's talking about how this house belongs to Jews and we won't just stop at this house. We're going to this neighborhood and the next neighborhood and he thinks that it's a continuation of the Zionist project. And sure, it came at the expense of Arabs, but so did the institutions of government. Everything in Israel has come at the expense of Arabs. And so this is just a continuation of that tradition. There was a decision from the court, because, you know, these families all have to go to Israeli court, argue that they should be entitled to stay in their homes. And yeah, what kind of arguments are they the making? Court said, what, mean, what, what? When like, you appear before court... What do you say? Oh, I own the property. Oh, uh, so who cares? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Oh, I, I have, own the property. I have, Please I let have, me stay. 
okay the paperwork what what, what is paperwork okay this is a court that house belongs to some random zionist now kim posted this the supreme court of israel says that both sides should come to an agreement whereby the Sheikh Jarrah families should admit the settler organization's ownership of the land and pay rent to the settler organizations. What? Super Why? duper what? That's Israeli court for you. Can't say they're not fair. Hey, you ever appear before a court, try and argue your basic human rights? You ever do that one? <laughs> you ever say, your honor, I'm a, I'm a person. I deserve to live in my house that I like, own. It should be open shut. It should be an open <laughs> shut case. I have the I have the paperwork right here. Oh no 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 no! You don't you won't be needing that. In fact, let me hold that. Let me <laughs> let me take that up off you, player. What's crazy is one of the main ways that Palestinians remain attached to their land and their homes is by carrying their land deeds. You know, the Palestinians that have been expelled from the forty eight territories carry the deeds to the land on which their homes were. And, you know, of course, Israel will say, oh, well, this land, you know, we've we've taken this land because what Israel did was they passed a bunch of laws following 1948 to say that all the land which was now unoccupied belongs to the state. So they basically expropriated all of the Palestinian land without offering any compensation in this legal way. But no, Palestinians still have their land deeds. They still have their land deeds. They still have their keys. And they're like, we're going back to our houses. You You can't just take our houses. You can't just take our land. That's not how this works. Not only that, but they were never paid for any of this stuff. We very rarely talk about the economic consequences of the settler colonial project in Palestine. We very rarely talk about the billions of dollars that Palestinian economy and Palestinian people were deprived of as a result of being dispossessed from their land. Yeah, I'm no property lawyer, but yeah. it seems like the state probably owes Palestinians some back pay and Palestinians are all landlords. Yeah, like a like, lot of back pay. Like if, if we're talking about who owes who rent, right? I think yep. I think the money should probably be flowing the other direction. Yeah, absolutely. But that's the thing. That's the thing with Zionist logic. It inverts all of logic on its head. Yeah, you know how like New York and New Jersey mobsters intimidate people by hanging them off a bridge by their feet, right? That's yeah. what Zionists do with logic. <laughs> exactly. They say, "Oh, you've exactly. got that's that's good logic you've got there. Oh, let me let me logic. take that to a bridge yeah. real quick and hang it upside down and let it exactly. die." Oh, okay. oh, we dropped it. Whoopsies. No. Whoopsies. Yeah. Yeah. No, but seriously, the Steve Slide talks about the property losses of Palestinians since 1948 can be placed at $146 billion. And that lost income of Palestinians represents more than $300 billion. Listen to this, a Palestinian cartographer and an expert on Jerusalem by the name of Khalil Tufakci actually traveled to Ankara in Turkey in 2010 to search the Ottoman era archives for a document that would negate these theories of Jewish ownership, which of course are completely backed by absolutely no evidence whatsoever. He found land deeds, copies of land deeds, demonstrating that pieces of land were owned by Palestinian families, submitted it to the Israeli district court, which promptly rejected it. It's so interesting okay. how much the Israelis love paperwork, right? They'll give you a different <laughs> ID. They, you got to apply yeah. for a permit. But if yeah. you own the land, 
that's not actually good enough. That doesn't matter. Yeah, and you show and you show that paperwork that yeah. goes back to the Ottoman era. They're like, yeah, no, but that doesn't. That's if you actually check the paperwork, the real paperwork. <laughs> the real paper, not the fake paperwork. Not the newly not the, created in yeah. the Congress of Zionists in 1890 or whatever. Do feel the need to talk about it, highlight it you know, make noise about it online, call any of your representatives. Yesterday, I attended an Instagram live with one of the members of one of the families whose house is now subject to this lawsuit. Yeah, and she called for people to try to make as much noise as possible about this, because at the end of the day, for many of us, our voice is the only tool that we have to take some position against this form of violence. Yes, absolutely. Uh, Speak out. Are, yeah. Be loud. Make noise. <laughs> the hashtag, yes. Save Sheikh Jarrah. And if you look at that hashtag, videos that are posted almost every hour of the ongoing ethnic cleansing, which is taking place right now. These videos are being uploaded right now. Yeah. The leader of the settler movement, he said he wants all of East Jerusalem to be like West Jerusalem. Yeah. And West Jewish. Jerusalem was a Palestinian. Yeah, and let's talk about West Jerusalem. West Jerusalem yeah. was Palestinian. Yes. There is this idea, and I don't know where it comes from. Somehow West Jerusalem is for the Jews, but East Jerusalem is for the Palestinians. But that's fine. We'll take that too. No, all of Jerusalem was Palestinian until yes. 1948. Yes. All of it was. There are Palestinian families who were ethnically cleansed from West Jerusalem, whose homes were there and who today, their homes are being occupied by settlers. Last year, the highest rate of settlement expansion in the East Jerusalem neighborhood on record took place about 4,500 units. That was last year. In 2020, 170 Palestinian homes were demolished, which resulted in the displacement of 385 people. Where do these people go when they are displaced? That's what I want to know. Because they can't build a house because Israel will demolish that too. Then they'll say that, oh, you don't have a building permit. And then they'll say, well, we tried to get one, but you said no. You denied it, and then they say, yeah, well, of course we denied it because you're not allowed to build, but you still have to get a permit, but we won't give you a permit anyway. Where do these people go? They go live with family until that their house gets demolished? Do they find a way to leave Palestine and then apply for refugee status saying, Israel, demolished my house, please let me come live in your country? I mean, what is what happens to them? I don't know. I saw a video of a Bedouin community in the Jordan Valley who just continues to rebuild structures and the IDF continues to demolish them. And it's just like a little dance that they do where over 180 times. I saw this. Yeah. They rebuild over 180 times and they keep rebuilding. I mean, I would not have the energy to rebuild my house once. No. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like one time, one time is too much. We have to understand the ethnic cleansing of these neighborhoods in East Jerusalem as a part of the Zionist plan to build a greater Jerusalem, which is going to be a part of a greater Israel. Israel's expansionist uh, ambitions are never ending. It's never going to be enough. The idea is to expand and expand and expand and take more land and more land and more land and displace more people and more people. There is no, there, there, and, and I think this needs to be a very clear message to anyone who thinks that oh, well, Palestinians, if they had only done this or if they had only done that, or, oh, well, the Israelis offered peace, but this... No, 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 no. They are continuing to kick us out of our homes that we have been in for hundreds of years. What do you say to that? 
Yeah, the people who are poo-pooing the critiques of Palestinians will soon feel the brunt of Israeli colonization. Yeah. Their borders will not stop expanding. For instance, they have already taken up a military base on Socotra, which belongs to Yemen. And they're using that as an outpost to stoke tensions with Iran, try and destabilize the Iran deal, gin up the type of atmosphere where people want to engage in military actions. The ethnic cleansing of East Jerusalem is not new, right? It's been happening since 48. They are just continuing a process that has been in place for nearly a hundred years now. One thing which we, we really don't talk about enough is the extent to which Israel's repressive policies extend beyond its own borders. And sometimes we hear about how, yeah, well, Israel also armed apartheid South Africa and was allies with apartheid South Africa. But it goes even beyond that. Israel provides Mexico with training and weapons in its counterinsurgency against the Zapatistas. That's something that is worthy of greater discussion in the Palestine solidarity circles. And that is the notion that Israel's repressive policies go beyond its borders and that Israel benefits from militarism and neoliberalism and capitalism and all of these repressive ideologies. And this extends beyond Palestine. And it's all a for-profit so, system, right? It's all to extract resources and capital and concentrate wealth among a very few. That's why the May Day solidarity is so important because it's not just a human rights issue, it's a class issue as well. Mm -hmm. Palestinians are owed billions of dollars. Palestinians should be rich, but they are impoverished by the extraction of wealth from their community. Bingo. That is so important. That is so, so, so important. Just look at Gaza in the last 15 years since the beginning of this Israeli siege. $16 billion in losses as calculated by the UN. These are exorbitant sums. Poverty is not inevitable in Gaza. It is, it is a creation. It is a very intentional product of a very intentional policy. The economic devastation that Gaza faced, whether it be them burning crops or targeting fishermen, they are squeezing the economic opportunity out of the people of Gaza. It is a deliberate yeah. campaign of BDS, but aimed at Gaza. Yeah. And not for a legitimate reason, right? No, of course. But it just underscores how hypocritical they are because they don't mind boycotts, divestment, sanctions, threatening people. They have yeah. no problem with that when it's not aimed at them. It's actually one of their modus operandi. They will freak out, though, if you aim those same policies or actions at them. Yeah, how dare you? Zionist logic. Palestinians have to go to great lengths to try to convince anyone of our humanity when it's obvious that we're human. Like what we're saying is not twisted. We're not twisting logic. You know what I mean? But when Palestinians say we're human, treat us as such, well, you know, we can 
have debates about it, right? So maybe the, the way to liberate Palestine is to say that God actually changed his mind. And that doesn't apply anymore. I think you're going to get a no take back situation. Somebody who's selling you bad weed. You know what I mean? The second you yeah. hand it to him, it's like, <laughs> ah, no, no take backs. That's you gave me the money. So although that being said, my um, my brother in law, his father, who who is in Gaza, his whole family's in Gaza. Still, and uh, we communicate with them pretty regularly. He, you know, you talked to him the other day and he says to you, I'm sure that Israel won't last another 10 years. He's like, it's on its last leg. He's like, their timing is coming very soon. I hear that from many Palestinians inside Palestine, that they are more hopeful. Isn't that weird? It's so weird because all the Palestinians in exile are more depressed. Like, they're less yes. hopeful about it than the people inside Palestine. And I just don't, I mean, I guess. Yes, I agree. I totally agree. I totally agree. I mean, I don't think, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I hate to generalize, right? I don't want to speak for Anne or say that this is a unanimous sort of thing or whatever. Of course. But I, I do think there is something to that where I have heard from Palestinians who are in Palestine that they're, they have this feeling, this, this notion, this appreciation of the facts on the ground. They see the way that Israel is comporting itself, and they say that this is not going to last. This is so unsustainable, and, and it's brazen. And I think that, yes, on the outside, it, sometimes it can be easy to fall into hopelessness because you read about it on the news every day and it just doesn't seem like anything is changing in terms of policy, especially if you're looking at it from a U.S. lens where, yeah, we're seeing shifts in public opinion amongst people, but so far it hasn't translated into a shift in actual policy towards Palestine. You know, I mean, I think about the episode we did about Betty's bill and on the one hand, yes, it is a historic bill, and it is the first time that a bill of this scope has been presented in Congress. You know, we are at the point where we are giving Israel more money than we've ever given it before. And so the fact a bill like this could be posed at a time when U.S. policy is what it is, yes, it's historic. But at the same time, we need so much more than that. It's like we didn't have those on the books already. No, we should Just already be doing that. Thought of that in 2021. And it still only has 15 co-sponsors. Yeah, that's tough. Only 15 Congress people think it's a good idea that you shouldn't kill Palestinian kids and steal Palestinian land. I mean, come on. You know? So on the one hand, I'm like, yeah, it's historic, and I list all the reasons why. And then on the other, on the other hand, I'm like, this is very depressing. Yeah, what do we I, have to do? So-called pro-peace Zionists are taking up the ethnic cleansing of East Jerusalem as like an issue to stand up for and say that this does not represent Israel and this is not the Zionism that they support. And this is like a right, friend. Right, they, right. they try and marginalize the people screaming death to Arabs in the streets of Jerusalem as like a fringe group. But the reality right. is that a majority of the Zionist population in Israel agrees with those policies of expulsion, you know, dehumanization of Palestinians. So all of that is to say that I think slowly there is a shift even among Zionists that you can't outwardly support Zionism as you once 
did, right? You yeah. have to condition your support for Zionism to say, oh, no, 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 I'm a cultural Zionist, or I'm just a Zionist yeah. in the progressive sense of the term. And that is a clear concession in their argument, which they almost never do. So it shows that even internally, their ideology is crumbling. I think it's tough to be a liberal Zionist these days because Israel's not making it easy for them, you know? Yeah. Um, at all. It's, it's literally like, no, uh, it's fine. Uh, I'm still Zionist. But yeah, this one, this this thing sucks. Okay, no, this is not Zionism. No, no, no this is not Zionism either. Uh, demolishing this woman's house, that's not Zionism. Well, what the hell is Zionism, right? Right. You know what I mean? What's left? What's no, left no, no, Zionism? no, no. Zionism literally just means like the establishment of a Jewish home for Jewish people in our ancient homeland. And it has nothing to do with Palestinians, even though that's the land that we're you stealing. Know what? The thing is, is that if you all you have to do is go back the early Zionist leaders, they are so express and clear mm-hmm. in the fact that they were going to be committing ethnic cleansing, the fact yes. that they were going to be uprooting Palestinians. Yeah, it's a lack of self-awareness that is truly alarming. Like there are Zionists who will get on the Internet and they'll be like, I want to genocide the Arabs. And I can honestly respect that more because they're telling the truth, right? They don't put on this charade where they're like, I care about Palestinian people, but I'm also a Zionist. That I don't want to hear that anymore. I do not want to hear that at all. The Zionists were saying, yeah, we're settling the land is, is moral and just, just like all these other examples of very moral and just settlements that have occurred throughout history. All of these Zionists referred to us at the time as indigenous and as native. They saw themselves as settlers coming to settle a land where there were indigenous people, where there were natives that they were going to have to deal with and they were going to have to get rid of some way. These are, these are the early Zionists. So anyone who calls himself a Zionist today and, and believes that Palestinians are not native, you don't have to look at all the cold hard facts that disprove that. Just go to your early Zionist leaders in key moments admitted this reality. Listen to your daddy. Yeah. <laughs> in other words. <laughs> I'm going to put up oh, a picture man. of Jabotinsky because that dude looked like the Crypt Keeper. That dude looked like a reject ninja turtle without a shell. (laughs) Ah, so great. Dude looked like he would so much stuff about he would charge you to cross a bridge. (laughs) I don't even know why that funny. Because he looks like a troll. But it is. He looks like a troll. Oh, okay. Also I'm just (laughs) I'm just very good at comedy, is why. Yeah, I'm like, that is funny, but I don't know why. We're still number three in Bahrain. Oh, yeah? Bahrain cares about our podcast. Shout yeah. out to Bahrain. I yes. am scared to visit. <laughs> you should be, because they do tend to arrest dissidents there. Yeah. But wow. shout out to the Bahraini people who are doing mm. their best to resist. I have some friends that are in Bahrain that are Bahraini and that are like, you know, towing this sort of 
tight rope between like Palestine activism, but also trying not to get assassinated. This? I'm not gonna lie, that sounds like everyone who does this work. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> uh, I was like, no, I know, you just... I know, but 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 like they. <laughs> <laughs> Did you describe my life right there? You just described everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they do tell me about the difficulties that they face, and it doesn't seem very fun. I mean, no. when they have. They're organizing meetings about how to support BDS in Bahrain. They're they're scared. They're scared yes. about even holding the meeting. Yes. They still do it anyway. Good for them. Yeah, it's tough. Palestinian legislative elections were postponed by President Palestinian President Mahmoud Abbas. Listen to this. There's a total of 36 political parties running in these Palestinian legislative elections. 36 parties. That's a lot award of for the most part. Yeah, award for the most political parties. 29 of those 36 parties are independent. And a total of 1,389 people have been nominated, including 405 women. That's great. great. The candidates' demographics show that there's quite a large participation from younger candidates. 38% of the candidates are between the ages of 28 to 40, which is great. And 22% are between the ages of 41 to 50. And, you know, the, the reality is, is that any time that Palestinians have had leadership that was revolutionary in nature, they were all assassinated. They killed them all. The only people that Israel engages with are people that pose absolutely no threat to Israel, which is why Mahmoud Abbas has been in the situation, the position that he's been in for decades. Like, how long has this guy been around? He's been the chairman of the Palestine Liberation Organization since 2004 and the president since 2005. So I'm not good at math, but that's like 16 years. Yeah, that math checks out. He said that the elections would be indefinitely delayed. The first Palestinian national elections in 15 years would be indefinitely delayed. We have decided to delay the legislative elections until the participation of Jerusalem residents is ensured, Abbas said in a statement. Yeah, I mean, it just so sounds like the elections are going to be delayed forever. I mean, like, just they're just there's no because because the thing that will make them not the thing that will make the elections happen is a condition that Israel is responsible for. So then that makes no sense. Will never happen. And will never happen because also why is he threatening? It's it's almost like he's trying to threaten Israel, but it's like Israel has no incentive in the Palestinians having elections at all. It makes no sense. Yeah, it's not a great cover story, my guy. Not at all. I read that the elections were delayed because the results wouldn't be favorable to his party. <laughs> well, <laughs> that's honestly what I read. Could be the case. <laughs> they were just like, look, we know we're going to lose if we let the people vote. Yeah. So what we're doing is Cancel we're, voting. we're gonna make a condition that is impossible to meet. I miss like the Palestinian revolutionaries. I miss Hassan Kanafani. I miss all those guys in the sixties and seventies. When Mahmoud Abbas talks, I've never been inspired by anything the guy has said. That's so depressing. Yeah. But I think it speaks to the pacification of a native population right native people knew not to speak out because they could be murdered they could be disappeared people are still disappeared to this day black folks had malcolm x and martin luther king jr I mean, numerous other people as well but as far as national figureheads those were the two faces of popular black liberation they were both assassinated only one of them has a day commemorating his activities right mm -hmm. and it's the one 
who wanted nonviolence. Right. There is a commitment to praising nonviolent resistance while criminalizing violent resistance and actively assassinating anybody who engages in violent resistance. Yesterday was also May Day, which is obviously a international day of solidarity for workers and a day that Mm -hmm. we resist the capitalist structures that exploit our labor. I remember when I was in college, every year for May Day, we organized walkouts from class to protest the U.S.-led wars in Afghanistan and Iraq. Paris was popping off yesterday, I saw. Uh, I know, Lion was Lion was at the May Day protest and he got gassed yesterday. Yeah, is he okay? I was texting him and he was like, yeah, I just got gassed, we're coming home. In Portland, they tear gassed the city for like 30 nights straight because we live in a yeah. police state. And there have been studies that have been done about the effect that it's had on reproductive success in that area. Seriously. Yes. Listen to this. Hundreds reported abnormal menstruation after exposure to tear gas study finds. A mm-hmm. scientific paper expands on social media reports of sudden onset periods, spotting, and other menstrual peculiarities during last summer's protests in Portland, Oregon. Yeah. That's insane. At some point last summer, there were too many reports of protesters who had experienced abnormal menstrual cycles after being exposed to tear gas. For Britta Torgrimson Ohario, a nurse researcher at Kaiser Permanente Center for Health Research in Portland, to dismiss them as coincidence. A preschool teacher reported that if she inhaled a significant amount of gas at night, she'd get her period the next morning? That's so bizarre. Oh, my yeah. God. Other- well, the thing is, is you're not meant to inhale chemical gas every day um as a human being right 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 and other portland theoretically police aren't meant to just use tear gas anytime they feel like it right and they do this in palestine the idf uses u.s made canisters of tear gas that they use all the time just for fun you know they throw it at people while they're praying they also talk about in that article how they first noted issues with tear gas and menstruation during the Arab Spring when an insane amount of tear gas was used against people all over the Arab world. This is the first study to document the longer-term effects of tear gas exposure in a large population. It's pretty revolutionary work. Mm-hmm. I mean, think about all the times that tear gas has been used throughout history consistently against populations and what that might have meant for the effects on those populations reproductive cycles that's crazy yeah they are engaging in eugenics oh whoa a molecular biologist in france has been investigating similar questions since french protesters began reporting menstrual irregularities because for those of you who don't know for over a year people in france were protesting the government the gilet jaune movement the the yellow vest movement they were protesting everything from increases in gas tax to the general economic situation to um, really it was it was a sort of a middle class movement that was that had an uprising against the upper class in Paris. So they were protesting every week. They would be met with a heavy police presence and violence, tear gas. Many protesters lost their eyes, fingers, 
They were shot at with rubber bullets. Journalists were targeted. It was for over a year, we weren't going out at all in Paris. And this was all before the pandemic. Macron has done absolutely nothing to propose any sort of policy that would remedy the concerns of these people. And their concerns were very valid. I mean, you had people like retired people saying, I don't have enough money for bread. I have to uh, sort of um, ration out my pension at the end of the month. And so I don't eat for the last few days. I mean, these are the kinds of accounts that we were hearing. And at every single protest, insane amounts of tear gas were used. And so apparently this is also being studied in France right now, which is crazy. Yeah, France protests in real life the way Americans protest online. <laughs> like, yeah. oh, I wish we had the energy of France. And I, I was gassed in France because in France in 2014, when we were protesting what was happening uh, in Palestine, military assaults on Gaza, there were mass protests in France to support Palestinians in Gaza. And the French police came out and they gassed everybody. They prevent you from leaving. Yep. They kettle so you it's like, and well, what's gas the you. Point of, so what's the point of gassing us then? What, why are you trying to gas us? I mean, if you're going to enclose us in and you're not going to let us escape, why gas us? It's punishment. Like, what's the point of that? Yeah. But it's, I mean, it's, it's not like normally tear gas is supposed to be used to disperse populations, right? That's the intended usage of tear gas. This is just, as you say, purely punitive. It has no function. It has no strategic or tactical, right? I don't know that there's like an ideal use for tear gas. You know what I mean? I think it's sort of like a at your <laughs> yeah. own discretion type thing. And it just so happens right. that okay. their discretion is basically always. Right. In Zuccotti Park in 2011, we got tear gas and they already had built barricades to keep us all in. So it's not like you could run out. And then I was shot with rubber bullets last summer in June during the uh, police uprisings. The, the LAPD hit me numerous times with rubber bullets directly on my body. Uh, they aimed for my genitals, which I actually found out later is a tactic they learned from the IDF. It's the shoot to maim yeah. policy. Yeah. But they hit me at least twice, once in the genitals, once in the lower thigh. Oh and um, I was I had brought a umbrella. So I was actually blocking a couple of them. They shot like six or seven rounds at me and I blocked a couple. Uh, but they, they got me because they are good at shooting people. That's what they do. You know what I mean? They are you <laughs> fine? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, they hurt a lot for I was very sore. Like, I, you know, because was, rubber bullets are just bullets covered in rubber. They're not they're yeah, not they, like a, it's not like a rubber blob. It's like an actual bullet. It hurt a lot. But I'm OK. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh, my God. Yeah, I'm lucky that they didn't hit me in the eye because they did take the eye out of somebody who yeah, I was... Yeah, that's what happened in France. Not far from. But always and bring an umbrella, folks. There's no... Well, or something else to block, right? Yeah, just umbrellas are bring a ready. shield if you're going to go because they will yeah, shoot you. Yeah, bring a you. shield. They will shoot you and bring they don't feel bad shield. about it. And I reached out to my congressperson about it because I was like, I should speak to their manager. And... My congressperson, you know what they said? They took like three weeks no. to get back to me. They had a staffer reach out and they said, well, did you report it to the LAPD? <laughs> 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 and I said, you, you know what? I didn't. But thank you so much for your efforts. 
It's like, what am I going to say? I'm going to call him up and be like, hey, hey, you guys, uh, just wanted to report that you shot me with rubber bullets. And they'd be like, did we miss? You know? <laughs> and, and I would be like, no, no, you got me. Uh, one of them, one of y'all ricocheted a shell off the floor. I didn't know you knew geometry like that. I was like, these motherfuckers know angles. Um, oh my god! But yeah, they're they're like, give us your address. We'll follow up with you in person. You know what I mean? Okay, I'm not. Oh my god! So expecting them oh anytime. <laughs> Did you talk to the LAPD? <laughs> yeah, that was pretty like, funny. What's your, what's your job as a congressperson? What is your job? Is it not to respond to your constituents when they have issues from the state? I gotta give. Not? I got to give it up for In the that, job description? That was actually a very funny response on their behalf. <laughs> like, I don't know if they were trolling me, but if they were meaning to be funny, that is hilarious. <laughs> Did you report it to the I LAPD? Yeah, but the sad thing is I don't think they were trolling you. I think no, they were no, 100%. I, don't, I really yeah. do believe that they yeah. thought that reporting it to the LAPD would be the thing to do. Would do something. <laughs> the FBI already contacted my local field office based on the Fusion Center data that my phone was putting out. You know what I mean? Like, they were already well aware. My good friend Kim at Food Benders had her first day in court where... She was given a court date to fight the charges that are against her. The Israeli lobby has constricted her economic opportunity by targeting her store directly for in-person protests as well as vandalism. They have targeted her suppliers trying to cut her supply chain, make sure that she cannot get produce, things that she needs to run her business. They have targeted third-party vendors who were facilitating the delivery of her food from people who still wanted to support her because there is a large network of people who support her out here, despite what the press may say. The, the press has written 15 articles about her in the last year, which can only be described as obsessive. And the JDL has shown up in person, which is a terrorist organization. It is labeled as such by the FBI because they were involved in bombing campaigns in the United States, as well as assaulting women. They killed somebody in the US. Yes. Alex Oda was a Palestinian American activist. He was assassinated in a bombing as he opened the door at his office in Santa Ana, California. He was the West Coast Regional Director of the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee, and the terrorist attack was committed by the JDL. Yeah, so those old chaps showed up in person outside of her door, protested. I was there for it. Luckily, she has a great lawyer. He is an outspoken anti-Zionist, and he is pretty much one of the only people who was willing to take the case. Mm -hmm. Because it's a tough task to go up against the Israeli lobby when you are a simple business owner or a right. lawyer practicing. It's not like this is an even match, really. And that's right. why I would encourage everybody to go to the link that I will put in the description and make a donation to our good friend Kim's legal defense because 
she's going to need it. The Israeli lobby is going to drag her into deep waters. And if you can just spare one or two dollars, it would make a difference. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's really important for people to understand what's at stake in the lawsuits. It, it's so much more than just her ability as a business owner to continue to operate her business. It actually has nothing to do with that. It's much, much, much more critical issue at stake. And that is one having to do with freedom of speech. Well, what you are allowed to say about Israeli violence, Zionism, are you allowed to express support for Palestinians? Is is the mere expression of support for Palestinians in and of itself something that should open you up to uh, attacks, whether physical or on your business or uh, harassment, online harassment, all sorts of things. Going, this case is going to become precedent. This The implications of this case are going to reverberate throughout the Palestinian um, community and throughout the uh, activism community. So it's a it's huge really case. It's a huge deal. Yeah, it's a huge case. And we should also acknowledge that she has stood tall the entire time. She has not backed down. She has not given ground. She has doubled down in her efforts to raise awareness about Palestinian human rights and the cause of justice. She is a gangster when it comes to human rights. Yeah, and not to mention the, the lawsuits are, I mean, it's not just one lawsuit. It's multiple lawsuits. Yeah, maybe one you can break it down. Ranging from a case brought by the city of Toronto against food vendors. And this, of course, was in response to allegations that food vendors was denying people service on the basis that they were supporters of the state of Israel. This lawsuit was completely baseless. There was actually no facts brought forth to support the allegation that they were denying people service on the basis of their allegiance to uh, Israel. In fact, the uh, only evidence was the fact that there was an Instagram post made by the food vendors account containing the hashtag Zionist not welcome as a proof of discriminatory policy against patrons, would-be patrons of the business. Meanwhile, were... <laughs> one of the local journalists who penned an article saying that she was discriminated against is pictured with a salad walking out. There's also a case brought by some individuals who alleged that they were discriminated against when food vendors published the Zionist Not Welcome hashtag on their Instagram page, but neither of those applicants have ever tried to set foot in food vendors. So that's what we call in the law hypothetical damage. It, it doesn't actually exist. You didn't actually suffer any damages. So that, that doesn't work. <laughs> There's a organization that used the instance of hashtag Zionist Not Welcome in a survey to document anti-Semitism. And the IJV, Independent Jewish Voices, came out recently having done a basically cross-section of the data. They looked at all of the instances of alleged anti-Semitism and found that a majority of them came from this incident with food vendors hashtagging Zionist not welcome, which is dubious at best. There's another case that was brought by a former IDF soldier and a dual citizen of Canada who is suing food vendors for defamation. He claims that a social media post that was made by food vendors with respect to his character uh, amount to libel. 
And he also claims that food vendors discriminated against him when they published the Zionist Not Welcome hashtag on their Instagram. I feel like that's a lot of lawsuits on the basis of a hashtag. Also, where do you think she's going to get $850,000 from? You have destroyed her it's, business. I mean, the thing is, is it they don't think, they, they don't expect to claim any sums from these uh, lawsuits. They're all being brought for the purpose of harassment purely. Sure. And to create an immense amount of psychological pressure on this person who now has to wake up and go to sleep every single day knowing that she has lawsuits in, in the millions being brought against her because of her support for Palestinian human rights. So there's another lawsuit where actually Food Brenders has brought a suit against the JDL in response to the group's organized efforts to smear and bankrupt food vendors. And in addition to the aggressive actions that they have carried out in response to the lawsuit that is brought by food vendors against the JDL, the JDL is countersuing. They're claiming that they were defamed and had their reputations damaged when food vendors wrote that they were racist and hate Muslims and Arabs and women. Food vendors' intended legal strategy is to argue that these assertions are in fact true. Here's something. When members of your organization have literally committed the assassination of a Palestinian-American at his place of work, are you really worried about PR? I, I don't You know what I mean? I don't know if they're aware that the truth is a legal defense, but they're about to find yeah. out. And that's why this case is so, so important because everything that she has said is true and she has not discriminated against anybody because Judaism yeah. is not Zionism. Yeah, we got to go back to that every episode, people. You say Zionists are not welcome. That's like saying white supremacists are not welcome. Apartheid South Africans are not welcome, right? Yep. Racist That's, not welcome. You yes. should be allowed to say racist not welcome. You're not discriminating against racists by saying racists are not welcome. Yeah, I saw a comment, right? a comment thread about this. Somebody was like, well, she did hashtag Zionist not welcome. And then somebody else was like, so what? We fucking hate Zionists. Like, right. <laughs> Right. Hey, by the way, the JDL has been, according to the FBI, involved in plotting and executing acts of terrorism within the United States. So not that I'd like to rely on an FBI statistics or statements, but I'm going to go ahead and invoke that one. If anybody can recognize terrorism, it's the FBI. Nice of them to put it on documentation for some other people. Number of JDL members have been linked to violent and sometimes deadly acts, attacks in the United States and in other countries, including the murder that I mentioned, and a plot to assassinate Congressman Daryl Issa in 2001. Wow. Who's a Republican congressman, but apparently of Arab origin. Yeah, they hold a grudge, it seems. Wow. So anyways, our thoughts are with our sister Kim at Food Benders, who has stood tall this entire time, never backed down. She has recently had one of the cases dropped against her because it had no standing. And then she got back one of her third party vendors, either Uber Eats or DoorDash. So if you're in Toronto, definitely order from her, go by her store, just let her know that you're thinking about her. And if you're not, and you want to support, go ahead and hit that link in the description for her legal defense. We've raised about $30,000 for her so far, but she's going to need more because this is going to be going on for the next couple of years. 
Yeah, I mean, I just want to add that defending yourself is an expensive endeavor. And this is exactly why all of these cases are being brought, being brought to harass her, to get her to stand down. I think that really needs to be clarified as well, that this is this is a key part of Palestine solidarity work uh, in in Canada. Like you're saying, it creates a chilling effect on activism. It's yeah. it's a part of the pacification of activism, right? It shows yes. people that this is a hard life if you choose it. Like they're not they're not playing around here. You can lose a business, you can lose opportunity, you can lose your family just through being ostracized and maligned by the press, right? You can lose friendships. This is the type of thing that one dedicates their life to. And I have the utmost respect for my friend Kim at Food Benders. The JDL was filmed defacing storefront of food vendors in broad daylight. Nothing happened to the perpetrator who committed that crime. We should say that the police, it's sort of like the situation where my congressperson was like, did you call the police? No, yeah. because the Toronto police do not like her either. She's been critical of yeah. them because they obviously are a police force that has mistreated, killed black people, may cover up the crimes of native uh, disappearances, etc. And so, you know, she's been outspoken about justice. And yes. that means that the Toronto police are subject to her criticism and therefore they have stopped providing any protection Dis discouraging anyone from dis defacing her storefront. In fact, they have intimidated her. Members of the Toronto Police Department have threatened Kim with rape. Yikes. And so what do you do in that, that situation where the people who are allegedly meant to protect you are not only, you know, allowing it to happen, but they are engaging in acts of harassment themselves? Furthermore, this underscores the connection that police stations have with Israel, right? Yeah. Every police chief, every police force has some connection, often financial, that connects police departments and the apartheid regime. Yeah. And the media blackout on this is insane. The media has Can you even just... call it can you call it a blackout when they've been reporting on her but just negatively? Right. It's, right. it's more like a blitz or an onslaught yeah. that comes in conjunction with the in-person harassment, online harassment and the lawsuits. It's just another aspect of the full frontal attack on her. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you all so much for listening to another episode of the Palestine Pod. We so appreciate your support. Please like, subscribe, comment, leave us a review on any of the podcast apps where you listen to us. You can find out more at www.palestinepod.com. And as always, you can reach out to us if you want to get involved at palestinepod at gmail.com. Fan mail? We got fan we got fan mail. Check it out. It's from a person we got fans? named Soldier Toy, which I imagine is a play on Soldier Boy. Uh crank that. <laughs> Superman that hoe. It comes with no subject line, which is I think my favorite of all emails when they have no subject. 
Soldier Toy says yeah. to the Palestine pod. Hi, I started watching your podcast yesterday and I've already finished three. I didn't have high expectations, but I was surprised as to how good they were. I thought you made really good points throughout. Anyway, I just wanted to say you should keep doing the podcast and you definitely deserve a lot more views. Also, if you need anything like someone to manage the podcast, social media, or just anything, I'd be very happy to help. I'm a Palestinian refugee and I really appreciate what you guys are doing. Well, thank you so much, Soldier Toy. We love it. Thank you so much. <laughs> we love. <laughs> thank you so so much for your application to work for the <laughs> podcast after <laughs> insulting us <laughs> and telling us that you did not expect it to be good, but you were won over by the podcast. I I honestly hey, like nothing I wrong like with, that. A li- with a yeah, it's nothing wrong with a little neg, you know. Yeah, I I like that they have range, right? They came in in one yes. place and then they ended in another <laughs> and we helped that transformation so anyways just thank you so much for writing to us soldier toy and no you, made you, our can, day. you cannot have a job um, you can't have a job but you made our day yes absolutely so anyways feel free to send us emails like that we so appreciate it and uh thank you all so much for listening to this episode of the palestine pod we'll see you next time yes. have a good day <laughs>